I can't plant my flowers. I can't dig in the garden or clean up the yard or anything. So that was kind of hard. I'm sorry. Because I love doing that. Yeah. You can still go outside, though. And I will. Just It's hard to go outside and not take a rake with you. <laughs> a new diagnosis has a way of clarifying the things that are important. We all age. We all get sick. We all die. There's deep meaning to be found in living with a serious illness. There's fun to be had in someone's last days. And there's a lot to be learned from a person whose finish line is in sight. The conversation you're about to hear is about sharing experiences, finding what's meaningful, leaving space for sadness, leaning into grief, laughing about absurdities, wondering about the transcendent, and thinking together about an experience that we will all have someday. My name is Cody Huffstedler. I'm a palliative care chaplain in Denver, Colorado, and I interview people who are coming to the end of their life. My dear friend Katie has a dear friend Brandon who has a mother named Nancy. Brandon lives in Casper, Wyoming, and Nancy lives a little further up the road in Sheridan with her husband of many years. A few months ago, Nancy got a diagnosis that changed her life. She describes it as a punch in the gut. My friend Katie put me in touch with Brandon, who floated the idea of this interview to Nancy. I want to take a moment to call out and honor the courage it takes to say yes to an interview with someone you don't know about one of the most significant events in one's life that has the potential to be heard by a bunch of strangers. Nancy confessed, you'll hear, that she was a little bit nervous about it, but it turned out to be a lovely conversation. I hope you find Nancy to be as lovely thoughtful, and purely sweet as I did. This is Dying to Tell You. Well, Nancy, <laughs> how are you feeling? Pretty good today. Yeah? Right now. What makes a day a good day? Because I got up, <laughs> got dressed, and did a few little chores. Uh-huh. And so that makes you feel good when it... I'm an early bird anyway. Uh-huh. And have you, has that, is that not been normal recently? Um, no, sometimes it's not. Sometimes I don't get out of my house coat till noon. Yeah. Okay. Depends on how I feel, but I feel pretty good today. Good. And there was a little pressure because we were coming. You had yeah. to get up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... I think I know your diagnosis, but um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your journey to your diagnosis, and then you can tell us what it is. Um, so you went to the doctor for some reason. What prompted you to go to the doctor? What was what was going on that made you well, think something was wrong? Well, I have type 2 diabetes, and it was a normal call okay. to go to the doctor. And I've been on Weight Watchers for two, two and a half years, and I'd gradually lost quite a bit of weight, like 60 pounds. And then all of a sudden, it just started dropping off. Uh-huh. And that alerted my doctor, and she ran some um, liver enzymes, and they were high. Okay. And so she ordered an ultrasound of my liver because I had gallbladder surgery when I was 23 years old, and they thought maybe I had a plug bile duct or something, you know, and I did. And you did, right? Yeah. Anyway, she ordered that, and 
behind the ultrasound of the liver, you can see the pancreas. And there was a little kind of a shadow on it. Mm -hmm. So she ordered a CAT scan with contrast, mm -hmm. and um, it showed a tumor there. On the pancreas. Uh-huh. And they sent me to Billings, and they did a ERCP, which is a yeah. an ultrasound. Yeah. Tell, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, they found out that there was can it was cancer, and that sucker punched me. Yeah. I did. I had no clue that it would be um, pancreatic cancer. You didn't. You didn't really think anything until when. Until they told you? Until they told me. Yeah, really? I didn't. I thought it was something to do with my liver because of the gallbladder surgery. Yeah. I mean, a sucker punch, that's that's a pretty big deal <laughs> to hear that. Um, when you say sucker punch, what what did it feel like? How what were the what were the emotions you went through? It's like somebody you know, on T V and stuff you see where people will walk up to a stranger and just hit him in the gut. Mm -hmm. That's just what it felt like. A lot of emotion. Yeah. Um, Sadness. I didn't really have time to be sad. I was more like, you're kidding. Uh -huh. I couldn't believe Surprise. it. Yeah. Yeah. Was it overwhelming? It was, it was for a few, uh, few hours. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty stoic. I, I take things as they come. Mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. I felt sorry for my son and my husband. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Did they find out right away? Uh-huh. Were they with yeah. you? Yeah, Brandon was with me. Mm-hmm. He went, he took us to Billings, in fact, both times that I went. Were you, were you worried about them? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you worry about? Oh, just because we're so close that it just... I was just worried about it hurting him. Yeah. Did it? It did. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's still an ongoing process. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Of course it is. I don't know. That's the thing about loving people, right? You know, um, you don't want them to hurt when you're getting hurt, and um, and you can't really keep them from it. No. You and you certainly wouldn't want them to be happy. No. That you were sick, no. <laughs> but yeah, so that's it's a double it's a double hit, right? You right. you feel the emotions that you feel some scared scared fear maybe. You know, I'm not afraid at no. all. Okay. No, I've been around it enough to where death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. No, for sure. I'm I'm curious though. The initial diagnosis, what um, would make me most afraid because I haven't been um, a patient very often in my life knowing that down the road there's probably going to be some treatment or some uh, interaction with the medical field and treatments can often be harsh and difficult and um, that would be my fear did you have any of that uh, well, about chemo yes yeah, yeah. yes and and it's been rough has it yeah tell me about that I haven't had any nausea and vomiting but and I feel just fine the day after chemo, but then after that I get raging diarrhea. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it worse or better than you had worried about? 
the chemo isn't bad at all. Yeah. I mean, the other effects of it. It hasn't, hasn't been bad at all. Except I lost my hair, of course, yeah. but. <laughs> but your wig looks nice. Well, thank you. You wouldn't, I mean, I knew it was a wig, but uh, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> oh, thank it looks you. Looks great. Um, okay, so you you got a diagnosis. Did they give it to you um, right away, or did did you have to wait for a, a biopsy result? And you, I a phone had to call? wait for a biopsy result, and then they called me in and talked to me in person. How did that uh, conversation go with your doctor? With the oncologist, mm-hmm. oh, she's awesome. Right up front, I like being told exactly. What's going on? I don't want any wishy-washy stuff that I have to guess. Yeah. And she's just like that, and uh-huh. I really appreciate that. And so she told you you have? Stage 4 pancreatic cancer. There's another word for it. Ad- Adenocarcinoma? Yeah. So she talked to you about that. She gave you your diagnosis that day. She had already staged it. Um, did she talk to you then about the possibility of chemotherapy treatment? Yeah. On that day. Uh-huh. Several different um, options. Mm-hmm. One of them was doing nothing. Yeah. Because usually that stage four is not very treatable, but I have lots of faith. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go down with that fight. Okay. You said treatable, right? She said it's not very treatable, but it is treatable. Yeah. And did she tell you that it's not curable at that point? Yes. Okay. And I knew it. Yeah. Besides that. Yeah. So one option would have been to not treat the cancer, but to treat your symptoms and to make sure that you are were as comfortable as possible and just let the cancer run its course and come to the end of your life. Right. Right. And that didn't feel right. No, I wanted to fight as much as I could, but I didn't want to do anything. i go and have some exploratory um surgery and all this stuff right and then not have it guaranteed and then be sicker than a dog the rest of my life anyway mm-hmm. so i decided to do it this way right and i'm on two medications and um they haven't affected me all that much except just a little bit like you know i telling you right right oh i will put in there I had four treatments already, mm-hmm. and my cancer markers are down almost a thousand. So that's so it's it's working. Uh-huh. Yeah. When when your doctor was talking to you then about treatment options, the one the one option didn't feel good, and um, there were a couple other options. What did what did she say? Oh, they could send me to like um, Seattle. There's a big pancreatic hospital for cancer there or I went one in Colorado which would be the one I would pick because it's closer to home mm-hmm. I will go and do the genetic testing where where they take samples and everything of your blood and everything and you're only there for a day or so so that maybe they can get some insight on what causes or what cures pancreatic cancer. Sure, on, so f- for some studies. Yeah, yeah, genetic studies mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I will do that, but I don't want to go be experimented okay. on or anything. <laughs> All right, so that was one option is these big these big centers that are that specialize in pancreatic cancer research. Right. Um, and what other options were there? Well, there's one that 
we'll try if this doesn't work. It's immunotherapy, mm-hmm. and I'll try that. And too. that's a and that's a a second line yeah. treatment. So this is the 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 chemotherapy that you're on is what's you know considered the first line chemotherapy treatment for what you have. Yes, and there's several different medications that chemotherapy in chemotherapy that, but she chose more moderate ones, so I wouldn't be so sick. All right, because what I'm hearing you say is, don't let me put words in your mouth, but it seems really important that you maintain the life that you have and the quality of your life. Exactly. Even to the point of, you know, you don't want to travel a lot to be getting chemotherapy treatment because that takes you out of your home and out of your space and out of your life the way that you've been living it. Right. The goal here being to extend your life, treat the cancer to extend your life so that you can continue to live in the way that you have been. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I think what you were saying before about immunotherapy, that if and when the chemotherapy isn't working the way that uh, that it has been so far, that there's another line of treatment that you can do, this immunotherapy, that might benefit you some yeah. as well. Exactly. How are you feeling about your choice? Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Especially when those cancer markers went down. Yeah. Yeah. That must feel good. My right sweetest To meet the one I love I don't know how and don't know why I've been toasting all my life So I work on a palliative care team in the hospital and so I've I see only people who have life-limiting illness. Um, a lot of the people that I meet are like you, living with an illness that they probably will die from, or at least with. And we talk about budgeting um, your energy, because up up until this point, you've had not limitless energy, but a good bit of energy, and to do the things that you want to do, and you know, around the house and to be able to get out and go shopping and do all the other things that you do. Work in the yard. Work in the yard. That's my favorite. And your um, energy budget has gone down. (laughs) Another thing they told me that I cannot do this year. Uh I can't plant my flowers. I can't dig in the garden or clean up the yard or anything. So that was kind of hard. I'm sorry. Because I love doing that. Yeah. You can still go outside, though. And I will. Just. It's hard to go outside and not take a rake with you. <laughs> I don't have that problem. <laughs> Especially this time of year. So how are you thinking about your energy budget? What's, uh, you know, what's important to you on a day-to-day basis, and what are things that you've been able to, to kind of let go of and let somebody else take care of? Or have you given that any thought? I'll tell you what, I'm a much better caretaker than I am a patient. It's Uh hard. Hard to let go of things. Well, and I've done it all my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And from the time my husband retired until now, I've been taking care of him. Mm -hmm. Now he's taking care of me. Mm -hmm. And that is a... I'm very thankful and gracious with him about it, but that's kind of hard to let go of. What's what's hard to let go of? 
like having him wait on me instead of the other way around and stuff when you're sick. Mm-hmm. In particular, I mean, what what has been the hardest part? Oh, having him help me get undressed or take my shoes off or pull my nylons on. I have to wear socks clear up to here. Yeah. And they're support stockings, and he helps me get them on. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to be able to get them on just like that, yeah. but I can't now because yeah. I can't reach over this fluid. I know, I know. <laughs> it's pretty insightful. I think um, a lot of people struggle with that and don't realize that they're struggling with that. Yeah. <laughs> I seem to run into a lot of people who are caregivers who are now having to be the patient, and um, that's... Oh, it's hard. So hard. So you're, hard. You're giving up part of your identity. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that you're aware of it is going to serve you well. You know, oh, you, yeah. you know that that that's what's happening, and that's um, yeah. Just being able to call it out is going to help you work through it. Yes, and and it takes a lot of patience on my part because my husband doesn't do things exactly like I do or in the order <laughs> I do. You know, and that's kind of. Can you teach him? Uh-huh. Oh, he's learning. In fact, he's learning how to cook. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So you've, you've had to let go of some of that, too. Yeah. Have you done all the cooking all your life? Uh-huh. And I love to cook. Mm-hmm. So. And are you letting go of it because you just don't have the energy to do it? And I don't have any appetite and nothing. I can't taste or smell anything. Really? Are you lose, you lost that? Well, and I had covid twice and that is where I started losing mm-hmm. it and um it's a weird sensation isn't it it is it's really weird it's sure it makes it easy to lose weight <laughs> yeah it sure does yeah <laughs> yeah when you don't want to eat I used to love hard-boiled eggs and stuff like that and eggs taste like yuck to me now i don't i can't already choke them down yeah and especially without salt uh-huh and, and i'm not trying split. to limit my salt because of the fluid oh yeah that's right <laughs> how's living with that fluid is that it is a pit yeah was that coming on before you started treatment no just since it just it seems like i found out i had it and the next day i had swollen legs <laughs> It really came on. It really came on fast, and to the point where I had um, cellulitis in both of my legs, and had to have them wrapped and stuff for the last two weeks. Yep. And, so, not only is your energy budget changed, and you've had to start kind of shifting your priorities. My guess is that you had envisioned living. Who knows how long. A long time. Sure. And suddenly when somebody gets a stage four cancer diagnosis, there's a marker, an end date, um, that maybe is not quite so clear. You can't, you don't know exactly how long you're going to live, but you're certainly aware that you're not going to live forever, which I think all of us in the back of our mind understand that we're not going to live forever, but um, a, a diagnosis like this certainly... Makes, it, it yeah, makes you very aware of it. Would you talk about that? Has the, how has that realization been for you? How has it felt? Has has it really changed how you're seeing things? 
Um, I don't think so that much. Working in the hospital around dying people and taking care of dying people and knowing that that's not the worst thing that can happen to you has helped a whole lot. Yeah. Dying's not the worst thing that can happen. Um, what's worse? Living with no, no hope at all. Having pain for the rest of your life that is excruciating. Being like an addict that, no, they try to quit and they can't. Mm -hmm. And finally they die from their disease. Those are worse. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think most people don't think about that. I think your your experience, certainly my experience of dealing with people, um, taking care of people that are um, dying or have serious illness certainly makes me aware of my priorities. I don't always prioritize maybe the way that I would if I was, you know, pristine about it, but, um, it's certainly, I'm certainly aware, right. That there, um, there are things worse than dying. Have your priorities changed at all? Are there things that are more important now that, uh, that you kind of see the end on the horizon? Yeah, I've been, my sisters and brother and I have been writing a book about our lives, and that's a priority to get done before before I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Did you start that before your diagnosis? No. Just since? Yeah. Was it because of your diagnosis? I think so. My sister is the one who um, suggested it, and she's a writer, and she had a brainstem stroke in 96, Oh, and we didn't think she was going to make it. So she is very aware of the dying process because mm -hmm. she's almost died several times. Yeah. yeah. But she's still here and cooking, cooking, kicking. <laughs> kicking. <laughs> you're, uh, you're all uh, remembering a story and writing this, writing the story from your perspective. Right. And then all of, uh, all of those perspectives will be included in the book. I think that is so fascinating. Have you, <laughs> um, have you compared any of your accounts of the stories? Yes, we have. And I'm, I'm the oldest, so okay. I have a brother that's ten years younger than me. Well, some of my um, recalls, he doesn't remember at all because he was so young, mm -hmm. or not here yet at all. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. And um, then my sister, that's right under me, she's sixteen months younger. We have completely different ideas of what went on at a certain time. Uh -huh. The only thing we really agree on um, that happened the way both of us remember is, right, is reading Lord Grizzly that time. Okay. When I was a young teenager, we lived on a ranch out at Ucross, and um, we had this huge, probably acre, half-acre garden and we would have to, in the fall, when it was coming harvest time, we would have to shell peas, snap beans, husk corn, do all that kind of stuff, you know. And all of us kids hated it. Well, my mom got a big old tablecloth, put it on the ground, and we each had a big bucket of peas to, and, and a big thing to throw them in. And she started reading us this book called Lord Grizzly. Mm-hmm. And then we would take turns reading. Gave us a break from from snapping peas, peas yeah. you know. 
Anyway, we all got to be really, really good oral readers that way. And Mom got out of shelling all those peas by herself <laughs> <laughs> or fighting with us to do it. She tricked you. <laughs> but we had such a good time. That's one of my favorite memories. Mm -hmm. How old were you, you said? Probably 13, 14. Yeah. Good. Even my little brother, he was only like three or four, and he was in on it too, you know. He liked that story too. And it was a pretty deep book for a kid that age. <laughs> they, did he have to read out loud as well? No, because, oh, okay. yeah, we skipped him, let him get away with it. But my other sister, who was like, she would have been like six, she read too. Yeah. And she could read really good. She was a bookworm anyway. That's great. That's <laughs> great. I've never, I've never shelled peas. Huh. I've watched my grandmother do it. I sat on the porch with her while she did it, but. And ate them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're yes. good. <laughs> this is where Jazz Garden grows. Summer haze, my reading place, and they not tiptoes. And I know the memories are with me, even when you move to town. So you mentioned your experience at the hospital. Um, so tell us, how long did you work at the hospital? 42 years. <laughs> That's all my, all my grown life. That's a lot. I know. Same hospital? Uh-huh. Mm. Not the same department, but a lot, but the same hospital. Yeah. Right over there. So everybody knew you. Mm-hmm. And what did you do at the hospital? I was a nurse aide and ward secretary. Yeah. So I checked people into the ER and then help take care of them physically. Okay. And you were, um, you said you did ER work and ICU work. And ICU. And regular medical floor. Right. So, Surgical. Uh, okay. And OB. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. The baby department. That was my very favorite. Oh, you liked the you <laughs> I liked like the babies. babies. <laughs> they are cute. Yeah. And so that, that really has changed the way that you... It sounds like the way that you view the world and certainly the way that you view illness and life and death. You know, one story I can tell you about that really impressed me. I was taking care of a Catholic priest one time that was dying. He had cancer. And um, I was taking care of him when he drew his last breath and everything, and he looked so peaceful. Mm. And when... He finally, when his, the last breath came, I had this envision of this white dove just flying around the room and out the window. Mm. And that's how I view death. And he was so, such a nice man. Yeah. And such a, so at peace at that time. Yeah. Nothing scary at all about that. About? And about the priest passing away. Yeah. You know, I thought, oh, no, you know, because I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't, like, scary at all. Yeah, yeah. What did you think was going to be scary about it? Just a loss of life. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I mean, I'd been in the medical field forever, and that was the last thing you wanted to do was see the loss of somebody's life. It's the opposite of what you're trying to do. I don't know. Yeah. But it was, it was peaceful. 
Yeah. And that and that helped you feel better about death? Yes. It gave me um it relaxed me mm-hmm. or relaxed my psyche about it. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned when we were first talking about uh, chemotherapy um, and treatment, not treatment, um, you said uh, you have faith. Um, faith comes in a lot of shapes and sizes and means a lot of different things to a lot of people. Um, some some people would say, um, I have faith, and so I'm not going to do any treatment because I trust that whatever happens is going to happen and it's going to be okay. Um, you said, I have faith, and so I am going to do treatment. Um, so would you tell me a little bit about what faith means in relation to your decision to to pursue chemotherapy? Okay, Um well, for one thing, I believe in God, and I believe in miracles, and I believe in that God has a plan for all of us, and that he has put the intelligence into the medical field to invent these things that do prolong life, if you want to pursue it. And if you don't want to, that's your prerogative, too, because... Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that go into prolonging life when it's not exactly the life you want to live. Yeah. And um, so I believe that God has put all these medical things out. And even in the last 10 years, there's been so much progress. I just can't see not going ahead and, and I'll just let him be the guide. And then mm-hmm. he's the one who help me make the decision to go ahead and try and get better with the chemotherapy. How does that happen for you? Are you hearing a voice? Are you feeling a feeling? Are you trusting your gut? I think I'm more trusting my gut and kind of feel a feeling. Because for one thing, since I was a little kid, there's been miracles in my life. My little brother had... um, when he was 11 months old, he had double pneumonia and meningitis. Well, back then, they didn't have any treatment for it. So the doctor came out from town. We lived at Woodland Park, which is all probably three miles from town. Came out and got him and took him to the hospital. And all of us other kids were home with my dad, and he took my mom and brother to the hospital. Well, we didn't know if he was going to live or not. And yeah. um, they had to shoot adrenaline straight into his heart three times to get it started yeah. again. And they did. Mm-hmm. And they said that he might have some neurological damage or he wouldn't make it at all. He came out with not one single thing wrong with him. And sure. we learned on Christmas Eve that he was going to be okay. So that was a miracle mm-hmm. to me. And, of course, that has made Christmas for me forever. What a gift. Yeah? Yeah. And so it sounds like your faith, it didn't it didn't tell you that you have to no. do treatment, but that you can do treatment, and that's okay. 
And and also, God gave us free will. We can do what we want to, you know. Well, sure. But in your desire to be faithful, you still had the freedom to say right. yes or no to the treatment. It wasn't compelling you one way or another yeah. necessarily. But you felt within yourself, I mean, I can imagine a lot of things are going into that decision, but um, the desire to lengthen your life because... You love your life, and you love the things that you have, and you love your family, and you want to keep doing what you're doing. We live close to an Indian reservation here, and um, I've taken care of a lot of Native American people, and so, and I love their faith. It's all about mm. the earth and taking care of the earth and everything. And Anything. there's a lot of... Native American thoughts and stuff that I really like. I took care of a man one time. He was only in his 50s or something, and he had really, really bad cancer of some kind. I don't even remember what kind it was. But he went into the hospital and decided he was going to die, and he refused to eat or drink or anything, and he died. Well, mm -hmm. I couldn't do that, but I admired him for sticking with what his tradition was, because they used to do that. The elderly sure. people would go off and so they wouldn't be a burden to their society. Yeah. The um I've I've known people who um their quality of life had gotten so bad and um they were ready to die and they stopped eating and drinking um voluntarily. And um yeah, I don't know. That's that's a different kind of faith. What I find most comforting and um, most inspiring and most meaningful is faith that tells you that no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. And so it doesn't matter what you choose, you're going to be On okay. On the other side, too. And so you too. have the freedom to choose. Yeah. Right, right, yeah think sometimes people get the idea, maybe we've given people the idea that people of faith don't have to suffer or will somehow make it through forever. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a, a feeling that people have that um, because I have faith, uh, I'll live through this. And I have to sit with people and talk to them about all of the people of faith that come through the hospital, and some of them live and some of them don't live, but faith really can help people make it through right. either way. That's yeah. what I found, too. And and letting people talk to you when you're sitting with somebody dying, you know, really helps them. Sure. I had several people, you know, say something about, well, you didn't shut me off when I was talking about dying, you know, and a lot of people will. They're so uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think about dying? It's just an extension of the living we do now. When we get to the other side, it's just going to be a lot better, and there will be no yeah. evil there, and there's plenty yeah. of evil here. <laughs> we do encounter a little bit from time to time. Yeah. So the afterlife, what do you think it'll be like? One big garden that grows <laughs> like crazy and no bugs. And... <laughs> no weeds, no bugs. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a few weeds so they give you something to do. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I love that. I love I love it when people tell me what they really think the afterlife's going to be like because often it is their favorite thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. And I also believe that it is not even a split second to when you go and your family's going to be following you in the in the expanse of time. So you're not going to forget your family. Yeah. It'll just show up and they'll all be there. Yeah. Mm. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'll come to your afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> um Again, don't let me put words in your mouth, but it, it sounds like your faith tells you that you're going to be okay if you choose to do chemotherapy treatment, which you've done, and that you would have been okay if you'd chosen not to. Yeah. And that you'll be okay if you choose to do the second line of treatment, and you'll be okay if you don't like this treatment and you want to stop it, you'll be okay. I have that choice anytime I want to make it. Yeah. Have you thought about... At what point or how it might be for you to say, I'm I'm done treating this? If I get too tired and can't um, enjoy my family and it gets to be too much of a burden for any of them. Mm-hmm. Then, oh, for your family. Yeah. Hmm. Because I know how, how much of a burden it can be to take care of somebody at home. Sure. You know? Sure. It is. If you ask your family, they'll say it's not a burden, but they're lying. It is a burden. <laughs> but these are burdens that we we take on because we love people. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to them about it. That's my advice, if you want my advice. Yeah. Talk to them about it. Yeah. You know, they they'll tell you whether that's a burden they wanna they wanna carry on with. Well, I know Brandon knows, but you know, he he hasn't come to terms with letting go yet, quite. Yeah. yeah. But he's young, and his dad is just his da- poor dad is just uh, beside himself. He does, you know. He's he's really been good and everything, but he's a little bit angry. Yeah. Yeah. About my diagnosis and. Is it directed at somebody? Just in gen- generally in general. angry. Yeah. It was a fair reaction. I know. And <laughs> and with his personality, you know, he's type A, very explosive, mm. has always been, and he's just not accepting this like I like I am. Mm-hmm. Have y'all talked about it much? We talk about it quite a bit. Yeah. First thing I do is try and get him not to watch so much Fox News. <laughs> How's that going? Um, some days better than others. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I keep him busy enough; he doesn't have time. <laughs> is there uh, anger kind of builds up from that? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, it can. Yeah, but I think that gives him an outlet to express his anger mm-hmm. without having to express how he really feels deep inside it. Mm-hmm. How do you think he feels deep down? Him. I think I think he's almost afraid of letting go of me. Yeah. That's all. I mean I mean that's a lot. We've been married like fifty two years and it's a few years. Yeah. It's hard to let go of something. Yeah. And I don't want him to be angry all the time when when I do go. 
I want him to enjoy his, what's left of his life, too, because he's seen some pretty close calls, too, in the last few years. Yeah. Have you told him that, that you want him to enjoy his life? Yes. Does he agree? He he doesn't really say much about it. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of closed mouth about it. Brandon's the one who can talk to him. Yeah. Of course. Brandon's a psychologist. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're a wife of 52 years. I think you get an honorary psychology degree. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's concerned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I read something the other day about anger. Anger is most of the time just a mask for fear, sadness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially fear. You think he's afraid? I think he is, yeah. He, you know, it's like losing his best par- partner. I mean, after 52 years, I think it's, uh, I think that's putting it mildly, partner. When I thought I might lose him, Mm -hmm. it didn't scare me as much about the, you know, about being alone, but it sure scared me about trying to know how to live without him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Your whole life would change. Right. His whole life is going to change. I always envisioned that he would be the first one to go. I I almost counted on it. Yeah. Because he sure had a lot more medical problems than I did. Yeah. So who's going to take care of him? Yeah. The changing of your plans is always hard to let go. I mean, your plans are hard to let go of, yeah, when all that changes. Wow, that's hard. Do you want to be in your house when you die? Yes. you want to stay here? I do. Unless it's too much for them. Yeah. But I don't mind going to a nursing home. I mean, this old lady could really stomp up a lot of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I worked at a nursing home when I was very young. Yeah. How was that? (laughs) Taught me how to work. Yeah. Very much so. But I did not like the lady that owned it. And she discriminated between the welfare patients and the private pay private pay patients and that did not go over as good with me at all mm-hmm. she I quit the next day because I and they had the gall to call me back and ask me to work another shift <laughs> then I went to work at the hospital yeah you've been you really have been working in caregiving your whole life right and doing it when you've been at home yeah yeah, the minute I retired is when Bob got sick, and that's why I'm much better re- uh, caregiver than I am patient. Yeah, it's a big part of your identity. Yeah, and that's changing, and it's hard to change your identity when you're young, but when you've been living an identity for forty-two years of working at a hospital, plus a nursing home, plus being a mother, plus being a wife. Yeah. It's all, that's a, that's a really big change. It is, but, oh, well, it's an adventure. <laughs> what makes you uh, think of it as an adventure? Oh, I've always been kind of open to new suggestions. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't always take it, you know, <laughs> but I've always been uh-huh. and respected everybody else's idea of adventure, too. Yeah. You know? 
we die, I think I'm fine. Maybe I'll write you from the other side. We were just talking last night about how a lot of people will say, um, especially people of faith, will say, oh, you know, when it's my time, it's my time. And um, people will say, oh, I'd never want to live like this, or I would never want to live like that. Um, I would never want to have to live in a nursing home, or I would never want to live if I couldn't walk on my own or couldn't take care of myself. And... um, People, I think, underestimate the rigidity which with they hold on to de- to life. We really want to live. Sure. And um, people get to a place where maybe they can't take care of themselves anymore. And even though they had said, I would never want to live if I couldn't take care of myself, when it comes down to it, they make choices that prolong their life and they they do they want they can adjust people can adjust right really because um when it comes down to it living in a nursing home versus dying living in a nursing home you know it's not the best but it's also not death and that's um people think well maybe i can give it a try for a little while and surprise themselves and <laughs> maybe yeah, it's not as bad as they thought because i can still socialize sure sure and they still the if if they're lucky, their family still come to see them, and they can be in a wheelchair and go to the dinner, and mm-hmm. yeah. And I think sometimes the the driver behind that is is fear, fear of dying, because it's that it's the last unknown thing. We, right. I mean, I've been around it for ten years now. I've watched hundreds of people die. I still don't know what it's like to die. Yeah, <laughs> you know? sure. I don't have not. any idea. But we do know how to live and what is the quality of life. Right, right. What is quality of life for you? What does that mean to you? Oh, being around my family, being around my friends, um, being able to clean my own house, take care of my yard and some of those you have to postpone a little bit, but there's nothing that says I can't do it after chemo. Sure. Sure. And, I mean, I imagine that if you lost the ability to take care of your guard, your life wouldn't fall apart. No. You've, <laughs> you've already made that, that adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. So these little losses and little adjustments that you're making, I think this is something you can do to help people is you've you've made those adjustments and look at you you're thriving <laughs> you're doing just fine you've lost a few things right that you that you valued really highly and you're still doing okay yeah you've made adjustments would you say yes i would but i haven't really lost all that much that i can't do mm-hmm. if i push myself you know sure you're you're still adjusting to being taken care of. Right. Yeah. Being a patient is new. Right. Uh, that's hard. And it's only been like, I don't know, six weeks since I got this diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I, I've forgotten how how fresh it really is. 
and then hmm. how do you want to be remembered or do you want to be remembered sure I don't know that's an assumption I guess do you want to be remembered how do you want to be remembered huh oh I want to be remembered that I love my family and my friends and everybody because I know they all love me too I haven't done any great things like Lincoln or anything, but it made a difference in my family's life. Yeah. How I treated them and cared for them. Yeah. We've only just met, but my guess is that the things that you have done have rippled out and had effects that you probably don't even know of. You know, the way that you've raised Brandon and the way that you've taught him to be um, has impacted thousands of people that he interacts with in his work and in his life. Yeah. So maybe you didn't free the slaves, but <laughs> but um, I think living a life of caring for others is important and good and big. Well, I hope so, because I've always been, even as a little kid, I was dragging animals home and that type of stuff, you know. Hey, when when I was a, an eighth grader, I was um, playing on the giant strides. Do you know what those are? It's a pole that have chains with handles on them, like this, and you run around and you push uh Kids and it goes around and around. Oh, that doesn't sound safe at all. It isn't. They yeah. outlawed them since I was a kid, but it was fun. I bet it was. <laughs> anyway, this little girl fell. She was like fifth grade, and I was pushing her, and she fell off, broke her arm. So I carried her books and helped her around school until she came out of her cast. You know. So you've been caring for people since. Before eighth grade, huh? But it was my fault, you know. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you uh, you got a little tearful a minute ago when you were talking about your family and your friends, um, and inevitably, when we're talking to people, uh, a lot of what I do at the hospital is talking with people who have a new diagnosis of cancer and helping them make a decision about whether to pursue treatment or um, how they want uh, the end of their life to look. Um, and inevitably, the always the most important thing is people, you know, the connections that you have to people. The, the idea of saying goodbye and letting go is just always, it's always the hardest part. Sure. And I think I'm, I'm getting the idea that you're, you're feeling a little bit of that. Uh, the idea of saying goodbye to, to people, and it's not not saying goodbye to the house necessarily or the car. No. Or, <laughs> or, I couldn't care less. Yeah, yeah but the people that yeah. make the most difference. And a person like you who has cared for people so much, I'm sure has a lot of strong connections that you're going to have to let go of. Yeah. And I can imagine that'd be hard. My friends and stuff, that they're pretty upset yeah you know, the ones I worked with and everything are they letting you are they letting you talk about it are they letting you be 
the sick? one the ones that have come and talked with me, not in a public place like a, when we went out for so dinner. Not at lunch? No, yeah. not yeah. at lunch. But the other ones do. Yeah, you've got people that are letting you talk to them about how you're feeling and about being yeah. sick and all that. Yeah. There's a couple of gals that are really, really close friends. One of them is my... Um, sponsor into the Catholic Church and mm. she's just a couple of years older than me and so she's been coming she came over last night and brought us some custard that she made and stuff and it, she's a good one to talk to because she's a nurse too mm. yeah that's good and a lot of my friends are nurses or aides yeah. that I work with so they all understand and they all Every one of them has a different little point of view, but but basically they're all the same. They all care about people. Yeah, and they care about you. Yeah, and I care about them, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> right, right, right. So in an ideal world, there will be at least a few people that will hear some of the things that we've talked about today. What would you want them to know about living with a terminal illness? Well, parents, they don't have the, a lot of them don't have the experience I do with, with being around people like that. I would say just cling to your faith and your um, God and ask him for help mm. because that's the only real help you're going to find, actually. Yeah. Unless it's a professional. Sure. Yeah. You know, sure. How is God helping you? Oh, he's always helped me. He's always been right on my shoulder forever. I don't know how he wouldn't be helping me. <laughs> Providing comfort. Yeah. Peace. Courage. Caring. Mm. You feel cared for? I do, and I care for everybody. You yeah. know, I yeah. care for people. Life has a way of uh, giving back what you put out. Boy, so that's true. I, Energy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I hope that you get the caring that you've given. Well, and if if I don't, then I'll I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you. Yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> Anything else you want to say? It was very, very good. I enjoyed it. Oh, good. Good. And it's a lot easier to talk about than I thought it would be. Yeah? Were you worried? A little bit. Yeah. I wasn't. Well, I didn't know where to, how to start. Sure. That's your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, do, how did I do? You did great. Oh, good, good, Really good. 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 I am really, really grateful because it led, led me on to different ways of thinking, you know, and how to express it. Expressing it is the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talking about it, getting those feelings out and expressing those things really is helpful. I hope you're able to do that with your friends because um, the experience of holding all that emotion and worry and fear and, and joy and hope, all of that, holding it inside is it really, you can really build up a lot of angst and anxiety, but if you can get it out, it kind of takes the power of the bad feelings away. So yeah, I hope you're able to do that. That's a, I want to do that with my husband. Mm. I hope you can. Yeah, I do too. Thank you so much for 
talking to me. <laughs> sure. I appreciate it. It's really great. And I think um, I think your perspective on living with something like this is going to be valuable to people. So thank you. Good. Yeah. Good. Because I know how hard it is for people to talk about the end. And, yeah. And to uh, understand that there's so much more to the other side than there is here. It's not even funny. Few people walk toward the finish line with such grace. I hope you all go outside to the garden and carry a rake to honor Nancy. If you or someone you know is living with a serious illness and would like to share your experience and perspective, please email us at dttypod at gmail.com.